Hey, Jesus gives us an amazing invitation. He invites weary and heavy-laden people to come and find rest. And, and I don't know what your soul is like, but sometimes my soul gets weary and heavy-laden. And So let's spend some time in prayer. Jesus, thank you for inviting us. You said, come to me all who are weary and heavy-laden, and you will find rest for your souls. That's why we're here, Lord. Our souls long for rest. Oh, the living in a fallen world, the the virus, the, the divisions in our country. We're here because we want to find rest in you. You say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. We've come to learn from you. As we open up your word today, may you forgive the one who speaks for his sins are many. May your spirit teach us. May we find rest for weary souls. May we be so full of of your rest that as we go out this week, we could offer that soul rest to others around us who find their souls weary and heavy laden. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Today's message is called The Can-Do God, and my mother was an English major in college and speech minor. We often told her we thought it was the other way around, that she majored in speech and minored in English. But she worked really, really hard to teach us the difference between can and may. Mom, can I go surfing? And she would say, certainly you're able to, but may is the word. You're asking for permission. May I go surfing? Okay, try it again. Mom, can I go surfing? I was a very, very slow learner. And I think my mom invented a game to teach me. You know the game, right? It's what, uh, mother may I? You guys there? Come on, I thought that was funny a little bit, okay? I I don't think I'll even go to my next one because that prepared me for a game that I get to play now, which is uh, wifey, may I, right? (laughs) May I do this? And uh, okay, I'll just move on, okay? Because I got some really good news for you today. We're going to learn about the can-do God. And here's the point of the message today, that our God is the can-do God. So I don't know what's troubling your heart today, what seems so overwhelming in your life, but listen, I've got some really, really good news for you, and and I want you to say it with me, because somehow saying it makes more real in our lives. Will you say it with me? Our God is the can-do God. Maybe you look around our culture and you think, man, could my life, could, could I make a difference and I want to encourage you? Yes, you can, because our God is the can-do God. And maybe you're not looking out. Maybe you're looking at yourself and saying, my life is so, so messed up. How about my life? Could my life ever be put back together again? And I want to encourage you, yes, because our God is the can-do God. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 18. And if you're new, let me set this up for you a little bit. This year, we're walking through the book of Genesis together because Genesis lays the foundation for everything else that happens. And we're learning some of the great characters of the Bible. And a few weeks ago, we met a man named Abraham. He was 75 years old. And when God met Abraham, he said, listen, if you will believe in me and follow me, you can be a part of saving the world. If you'll believe in me and follow me, I'll bless you and I'll make you a blessing. One of your descendants will bring salvation to all the nations. And Abraham said, I'm in. And and he believed in God and began to follow him. 
And this is now 24 years later. It's 24 years later, God's changed his name. Changed his name from Abram, meaning exalted father, to, to Abraham, meaning the father of a multitude of nations. Are you kidding me? He's 99. He and Sarah have no children. And, and he has one child, and his name is the father of a multitude of nations. So we pick up the story. Genesis 18, verse 1. Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. When he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. Now I, I love, so where is this? See Mamre? Mamre's about 20 miles south of Jerusalem. About 20 miles south of Jerusalem, it's um, Mamre's close to Hebron. And when is the story taking place? Notice it's taking place in the heat of the day, around the middle of the day. While there in the middle of the day, it would have been so hard. People wouldn't, they wouldn't work. They would rest in the shade. Not only would they not work, but they really wouldn't travel. So what's happening here is unusual since it's happening in the middle of the day. And who's in the story? Well, Abraham's in the story. And then next, notice the Lord appeared by the oaks. I believe it's really that, that Jesus appeared, called a theophany, God appearing, that Jesus comes before the incarnation. Uh, where would I get that idea? Well, notice it says the Lord appeared. And notice when we get to the New Testament, we read in John 1.18, that no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God uh, who is in the bosom of the Father, he's explained him that God the Son has made the invisible God visible. And so we see him putting on flesh and coming to Abram here. So three guests appear. One is the Lord. One is Jesus. Who are the other two? They are angels. And where do we see that? If you look down to chapter 19, verse 1, now the two angels came to Sodom. Um, now angels are messengers. So three messengers come, and though hospitality was certainly a big deal in that culture and still is in most of the world today, we're going to find there's extraordinary hospi hospitality shown by Abraham because Abraham seems to know these are not just three ordinary people, that they've come, and they've come with a message. And so he wants to welcome them because he can't wait to hear the message they bring him. When he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were sitting, standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door. See, men didn't run, but this is extraordinary. Notice all the verbs in him here. He ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. See the word bowed himself? Uh, throughout the Old Testament, it often means worship. And so the first time this word is used, it's, it's really Abraham bowing down and worshiping before Jesus. He bowed himself to the earth. And he said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please come and stay at my house. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Come, sit in the shade, let me wash your feet, and I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go on since you have visited your servant. And they said, so do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, see the hurry he's in? 
He can't wait to get the message that they bring, quickly prepare three measures of the fine flour, knead it and make bread cakes. Abraham also ran to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servant, and he hurried to prepare it. He took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them, and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. People often talk about the good old days. Were they really that good? I mean, you had guests who came to your house and there was no Publix, right? You couldn't just get the food. You had to what? You had to make the bread. You had to take the calf, kill it, prepare it, cook it, do all of that to welcome your guests. And listen, uh, Abraham's in such a hurry. Get it done, get it done. Because he wants them to finish eating. Okay, okay, tell us why you came. Give us the message. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, there in the tent. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, 24 years earlier, 24 years earlier, God says, you're going to have a son. It's been 24 years. And now God puts a date on it. It will happen by this time next year. And remember, it's been 24 years that Sarah's been hearing about this. Uh, so she finds it hard to believe. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now picture what's happening. You're where Abraham was, okay? And I'm where Jesus was. So Jesus is looking at Abraham, and behind him is the tent. And behind him, Sarah is what she's eavesdropping, right? She's listening to the conversation. You ever do that? You ever listen in? So she's listening to this conversation where the, Jesus promises that she'll have a child the next year. Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I've become old, shall I have pleasure in my Lord, uh, my Lord being also, man, I'm 89, I'm gonna have a kid at 90, right, and my husband at 100. Listen, this is way too funny, this is crazy. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Now remember, she's behind him, right? And she's in a tent, right? And she laughed, what? To herself. So Jesus knew what she was thinking. You ever think about that with you? He, he knows what you're thinking. And um, why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? And then here it is Is anything too difficult for the Lord? See, that's where we learn that our God is the can-do God because the Lord asks, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Do you think it's trying? Do you think it's trying for God to enable a 100-year-old man, a 90-year-old woman to, to have a child? Do you think that's taxing to him? Now, I want you to notice the word difficult. In Hebrew, this word could also mean wonderful. Wonderful. Remember the announcement of the birth of Jesus. Remember in Isaiah 9, when God says, we read this every Christmas, right? For a child will be born to us, and a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. It's the same word. That, that difficult is wonderful. So you could read uh, what Jesus says in two ways. One is, is it too difficult for the Lord, or is it too wonderful? 
Is it like too wonderful that God would enable people long past childbearing age to have a child? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. So Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh. For she was afraid, and he said, no, but you did laugh. Well, now, I believe that, that this conversation probably began to strengthen Sarah's faith, don't you? Because she began to think, listen, if he knows what I'm thinking, if he knows what I'm thinking when he can't see me or hear me and I'm behind him in a tent, then perhaps this same one will be able to enable me to have a child at 90, right? So listen, our God is the can-do God. And I want you to know that's the message of the Bible from the beginning to the end. When we started this walk through Genesis, I told you the most important verse in the Bible is the first verse, right? I mean, how does the Bible begin? The Bible begins with Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Know why that's the most important verse in the Bible? If you believe this verse, you won't struggle over anything else that follows. But if you stumble here, you'll stumble in many more places. I mean, talk about our God as the can-do God. There was nothing but God, and God spoke. And everything that is came into being out of nothing by God's word. And God gave life. He gave life to animals, and God gave life to people if God could make everything out of nothing, if God could give life, do you think? Do you think he wouldn't, could be sufficient to enable a 90-year-old lady and a 100-year-old man to have a child? Yes. You see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth because he's the can-do God. We come to the New Testament. We come to the New Testament, and one day uh, a rich man came to Jesus, and, and, and then he left Jesus, and the disciples were shocked. And then Jesus said something that shocked his disciples. He said it's really, really hard for rich people to get into heaven. And the disciples believed that riches, riches were a sign of God's blessing. And so they said, listen, if rich people struggle to get into heaven, who in the world could ever get into heaven? And remember what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26. And looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people this is impossible, but with God, what? All things are possible. You know why? Because our God is the can-do God, right? Our, with God, all things are possible. And by the way, when Jesus was speaking about rich people, you know who he was speaking about? He was speaking about you and me. If you have more food than you're going to eat today, you're rich. If you own a car, most people couldn't fathom being as rich as you are. And so what Jesus is saying is, with us, it's impossible for us to be saved, but with God, even people like you and me, even we can be saved with the can-do God. And as we read about a miracle birth, right, as we read about a miracle birth of a 90-year-old lady and a 100-year-old man, doesn't it remind us of another birth, doesn't it? Another miracle birth, doesn't it? Do you know what every Jewish woman in the Old Testament dreamed about? Every Jewish woman dreamed that they might be the mother of the Savior. And so one day, God comes to a Jewish young lady, right, whose name was 
Mary, and God says what? You are the one. You are the one, right? Now, let's pick up the conversation. So God says, you're the one, and Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Who does that sound like? Doesn't that sound just like Sarah? About how, can, how, how can that be? I'm too old. How can this be? Since I'm a virgin, the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The can-do God can handle it, okay? The power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. You know, sometimes people say you just need to have a blind leap of faith, but that's not what God does. God gives her evidence why she should believe, right? You know your relative. She never thought she would have children, and now she's about to have a child, and you will too, right? Uh, and, and then, for nothing will be impossible with God. Would you read that with me, will you? For nothing will be impossible with God, because our God is the can-do God, right? So how did Mary respond? Mary said, Behold the bondslave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Oh, over and over and over in the Bible, God says, Look up. Look at me. Gaze at me. I'm the can-do God. Listen, glance at your circumstances, but gaze at me. I can do it. I can do it. Do you know what a doxology is? It's a song of praise to God. It's, it's giving praise to God. And one of the great doxologies in the Bible is in Ephesians chapter 3. Um, now, this, this is so good. Like you go superlative, 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 okay? No, notice what he says here. Now to him who is able. Our God is the can-do God. Now to him who is able. Now look at, if you like superlatives, to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Now just stop and imagine what you think is so hard. What is it in your life that you would love to see done? It seems so hard. <laughs> and look at what it says. It says God's able to do uh, <clears throat> beyond what you ask or think. Beyond that. And not just that, but abundantly beyond that, right? And not just that, but more abundantly beyond. And not only that, far more abundantly beyond. <laughs> kind of get the point? That our God is what? Our God is the can-do God, right? Um, beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. See, that power, that can-do God is working in the lives of his people, in the lives of his church. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Um, now, God promised um, a baby, didn't he? And we're going to find out in the next few weeks that Sarah had that baby, and his name was Isaac, and and then we get to the New Testament, we get to Hebrews 11. We've been seeing so many of the heroes and heroines in Hebrews 11 are in the Faith Hall of Fame. And both husband and wife, both Sarah and Abraham are in the Faith Hall of Fame. Did you know that? And here's what is written about Sarah in the Faith Hall of Fame, Hebrews 11. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life. You see, God enabled her to have a child. Since she considered him faithful who had promised, God's faithful and he's, 
Abel, he's the can-do God. Therefore, now listen, I love this. Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead. Don't you love that? I mean, it's like, Smiley's like way old, right? How about Abraham, man? He was what he was as good as dead. And yet, this guy who was good as dead, God kept his promise and he had as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So what have we learned so far? You're with me. What have we learned that our God is the can-do God? Can we say that together? That our God is the can-do God. Now this is going to be a stretch, but what I want to do now is I want you to become a can-do people. Imagine how different your life would be if you were a can-do person. Now, so here's the action step for for this week. It's that I can do all things through him who strengthens me, and I think some of you are resisting me already. So I want you to look underneath the action step. This action step is actually a verse in the Bible. And when our action step is from the Bible, we know it's true and doable, right? So, So will you say it with me? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You weren't with me that time. Let's do it again. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, let me help you there. There's always two cliffs to fall off, right? And you know what? Some people are can't-do people, right? I can't. I can't forgive. I can't change. I can't share my faith. You ever ever sit there? Um. The opposite cliff is the can-do people. I can do it. I can do it. I don't need God's help, and I can do it myself. We want to avoid. Notice what Paul says. Notice what Paul says. I can do all things through him because what the can-do God lives in me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So listen carefully. Our God is the can-do God. And he supplies us with everything we need to be can-do people. Our God is the can-do God, and he supplies us with everything we need to become can-do people. So how do we experience that power? It really is as simple as A, B, C, where we admit, Lord, I can't. And then we believe, but I believe you can. And then we commit. We run to him to get what we need, right? Now, let's go back to Hebrews 11, and let me show you this. Notice it was by faith. See, Sarah didn't hear the promise and say, okay, man, I've got this, I've got this, I'm going to start juicing and working out more, and I'm going to get more sleep every night because I can do this, right? I can do this. It's not what she did, did she? She what? It was by faith. She said, I can't do this, but I believe. What did she believe? Listen, Sarah received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time, for she considered him faithful who had promised. Listen, God, you promised it, and if you promised it, then I'm trusting you to do it. That's how she became a can-do person, right? She admitted she couldn't. She believed that Jesus could, and she trusted him to do the impossible, didn't she? And isn't that how we become can-do people? I can't, but Jesus, I believe you can, and so I'm trusting you. So let me show you how to do that. Um, 
One of my favorite verses is John 14, 6. Um, uh, now, now, I want you to see this verse because some of you are going to get mad at me. And I didn't write this. Notice who said this. It wasn't me. Who said it? Jesus said to him what? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So how do we become can-do people? Well, the first thing that we do is we run to Jesus because Jesus is the way. He's the way, right? And that's where it all starts. When we run to Jesus, ask the way. Do, do you notice what Jesus said? I mean, how do you begin the Christian life? How does a person get to heaven? It all starts with the admit, doesn't it? It admits, I can't save myself. Isn't that where it starts? It starts with admitting that the bad news of the gospel is true about me because the gospel says what? That all have sinned, that all fall short. I mean, I've told lies of you, and I've stolen things of you ever, and, and I didn't always honor my parents. How about you? You see, we've all sinned. That's where it starts. I can't save myself. I'm in trouble. Have you ever said that? Listen, to become a Christian, to have eternal life, we move from the admit to the believe, right? And what do we believe? That Jesus is the way. That when Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but through me, we believe he knew what he was talking about. You know why Jesus is the way? Because he's a unique person. He's God the Son who put on flesh and came to earth. That's why he's the way. The reason he's the way is he had a unique mission. He lived a perfect life. He had no sins. He died for our sins. Our sins were placed upon him. He paid for them in full. You know why he's the way? Because he's the only one that rose from the grave, proving he had conquered sin and death. And he offers us the way. When we understand our sin, admit the bad news, and we understand the good news, listen, we're so glad there's a way. And so we say, Jesus, save me. Have you? I mean, if you understand you're a sinner and you can't save yourself and that Christ died and rose for you, won't you say, Jesus, save me, be my Savior, and, and give me eternal life, won't you? And, and then we say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be, right? Won't you do that? That's how we become can-do people. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Smiley, do you know you're going to heaven? Yes. Well, how can you be so arrogant? Well, it's because Jesus gave it to me. He gave me the ability to do what I never could have done on my own, right? Jesus is the way. Notice, too, Jesus is the truth, isn't he? He's the truth. To be can-do people, we need truth, don't we? Don't we have so many voices today telling us things? Don't we need truth to become can-do people? So how do we become can-do people? We run to Jesus as the truth. And we admit, I don't know everything, but I believe you're the truth. I believe that in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So when I want truth, I commit myself to run to you and to follow you and to share your truth with others because you're the truth. So let's think a little bit about our, our, the present time we live in. And, and I think everybody in our country would agree that the world is broken. Wouldn't you agree with that? Everybody would say our world is broken. We would only disagree on what the problem is. 
and what the solution is. Isn't that correct? I mean, everybody agrees the world is broken, but the world, what the Bible means by world, is kind of popular culture. Our popular culture says the problem is outside of us. The problem is outside of us, and the solution is inside of us. And Jesus says, no, 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 the problem is it's inside of us, and the solution is outside of us. So if we're going to be can-do people, who are you going to listen to? Hmm? Are you going to listen to our culture? Are you going to listen to Jesus? Isn't that our choice? And um, so now, <clears throat> uh, certainly one of the, the big problems we're facing today are, are racial issues, right? And we hear over and over again in our culture that the problem is outside of us. It's those people, it's, it's, it's structures, it's, it's the government, it's the police, and the solution is inside of us. If we get rid of those external things, our inner goodness will flow out and we'll have a perfect place, right? But what does Jesus say? He says, no, no, the problem is inside of us. <laughs> are there problems and and structures, and, and oh, oh, yes, they are, but they are because there are people that are there, and because the people are flawed, so are the structures, but the primary problem's inside of us, and the solution's outside of us. We hear so much today that, that listen, if you go back to the founding of our country, it was founded with wrong things. No kidding, but why go back to the founding of our country? We need to go way beyond our country. Did you know that evil existed before we existed? Did you know that? You, you know where we really need to go back to is what? To the very first people, don't we? Because that's where it all started, didn't it? Our first parents sinned against God, and, and that wrecked all of creation. And the very first murder happened in the first family, didn't it? When Cain murdered Abel. As we look at the mess that we find ourselves in, will we come to Jesus and ask, what is the problem? And here's what Jesus said. Mark 7, for from, what? Help me, from within. Out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. You can study human history, and from the time of man's fall to today, there's been many different kinds of government, but there have always been problems, right? Because the problem, what is within us? It comes from within. And if the problem is within us, then the solution is then what? Outside of us. We need help. And that's why Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's why the Bible says in Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There are things our civil government can do for us, and, and, and we ought to do everything we can to, to see that happen. Our, our civil government can, can certainly outlaw discrimination, and we should encourage that. But the civil government cannot change the human heart. But Jesus can. Know what we need? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. 
The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. You know what fills me with hope is the can-do God. I know, I know if I can introduce someone to Jesus, Jesus can change their life because he is the can-do God. He made me a new person and he can do the same with others. That's how we become can-do people. I can do all things through him who strengthens me because Jesus is not only the way, he's the truth. He's the truth. We can come to him and see what's wrong with us and our culture. And we can see what the solution is for us and our culture. Um, But listen, Jesus is not only the way and the truth, he's the life. He's the life. To be can-do people, we need to understand Jesus isn't just the way and the truth. He's the life. The Bible says eternal life is knowing Jesus, knowing him, that is life. Not only that, but the Christian life, the Christian life is about the can-do God moving into us and living his life in us and through us. That's how we become can-do people. The Christian life isn't try hard. It's Jesus moving in, right? It's us learning to admit, I can't do these things, but I believe you can and you live in me, and so I'm trusting you to supply what you command. (laughs) Do you realize everything Jesus commands us to do is impossible for us to do? Have you ever noticed that? Everything Jesus asks us to do is impossible for us to do. That's why we always start with admitting, I can't. And then we believe, but I believe you always supply what you command, so Lord, help me. Um, One of the things Jesus calls us to do is to forgive others. Are you a good forgiver, are you? Do you find when people wrong you, you just naturally forgive them, it flows easily out of you, do you? Oh, man, Uh, I I am not a forgiver. Man, when people wrong me, I keep track and and I want to remember it forever and recount it over and over in my mind. And and Jesus says, Smiley, don't just forgive people seven times, but 70 times seven. Uh, It starts with admit, Lord, I I, I, I can't do that. And, and, And then it's what? But but I believe that you are forgiving and with you I can. And so, Jesus, supply what you command. Um, talk about the healing of our culture. Listen to what the Bible says. In Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Um, We live in a culture that that encourages us to look for every way people slight us and wrong us, don't we? And to really get mad about it. And the Bible calls us to do something totally different. And my mom would be tickled with me, and, and I think Tim would too, since he's an English major, that aren't all of these onomatopoeias, isn't that a big word? You know what an onomatopoeia is? It's when the word and what it means are the same thing. Do you hear that? Don't all these words mean what they sound like? Let all bitterness, do you see any of that in our culture? And wrath, is it in our heart? And anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now listen, it would be a lot just to throw that all out. (laughs) Jesus, I need your help to do that. But but (laughs) after we throw all that garbage out, notice what he calls us to do. Talk about what's impossible for us to do. 
be kind to one another. Jesus, I can't do that. I need help. You're kind. Help me, Ryan. Tender-hearted, oh, forgiving one another. Um, justice, God in Christ has forgiven you. When people wrong me, my natural thing is I, I love to repeat it over and over again in my mind, and, and I love to do it over and over again, and after a while, Jesus usually says to me, Smiley, you know, two can play this game if you'd like. And I realize when I real, realize that Jesus is with me, that everything that I have done, that others have done to me, that I have done far worse to other people and especially to Jesus. And when I am overwhelmed with how much I have been forgiven, I can become forgiving because forgiven people are forgiving. Listen, how do we become can-do people? Lord, I can't forgive, but I believe you can. Lord, help me. Help me to see what I've been forgiven so that I can forgive others. Everything Jesus calls us to do is impossible for us to do. Jesus calls us to love one another. And that's, that's challenging for me. Uh, and, and then he calls us to go out a little farther and to love our neighbor. Um, do you find that easy to do? And, and then know what he does next, right? He goes, what? He goes way out there and he says, what? Love our enemies. Are you good at loving your enemies? Are you? Can, can I talk with you? I struggle to love the people I love. I struggle to love my wife, and I love her. And Jesus wants me to love my enemy? Are you kidding me? I can't. That's the first step, isn't it? I can't. But I believe that with Jesus I can. Lord, help me. And you know why I believe I can with Jesus? It's because when I was his enemy, rebelling against God over and over and over again. He loved me. And when you realize that Jesus loved you while you were his enemy, then you begin to experience his supernatural love to love your enemies too. Oh, <laughs> maybe you're a loving person, man, I'm not. And this verse helps me so much. Um, we love because he first loved us. I'm so good at pointing out to you how childish you are maybe in your family or your relationships, but man, I struggle so much to love my wife because I want to say I love her because she does what I want her to do. But this verse haunts me. You know what it says? We love why? Because he first loved me. And so the way my wife treats me should have nothing to do with the way I respond to her. Because the Bible says that love comes down to us. And because we've been loved, we are to love. It's not conditioned upon the person. Over and over again, when I find it hard to love my wife or my neighbor or my enemy, Lord, help me to know how much I've been loved by you so that I can love others. Listen, I can do all things. You can too. I can forgive and I can love. You know why? Because I've been forgiven and I've been loved and so can you. And that's what the verse means when it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
And so this week, that's what I want you to do. Listen, when you hear Jesus calling you to do something, remember, it's impossible for you to do, but you can do it through him. I can do, right? Won't you admit? Won't you believe? Won't you commit? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so glad you came to provide the way, the way for your enemies to become your brothers and sisters, the way for sinners to be forgiven, the way for people to live forever. You did it all. You lived and died and rose so we could have it all in you. And listen, if you've never begun the Christian life, Jesus is the way. Won't you begin? He's here. Won't you just say, Lord, I admit to you that I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And won't you believe, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And won't you commit, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and to forgive me and to give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want us to be. Won't you trust him? Lord, I pray for those of us who know you as the way, that this week we would remember you're the truth, that you're the truth, and we would run to you for truth, to know what's wrong with us and, and what the solution is, to know what's wrong with our culture and what the solution is. May we run to you because you are the truth. And Lord, may we run to you because you're the life. And when we hear what you want us to know and we recognize how unable we are to do it, may we admit that and may we believe that with you can and may we let you live your life in and through us so that we can become can-do people like you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.